want to tell you about one of our partners, Quetzal Education Consulting. Quetzal Education Consulting is a queer, black, and indigenous women-owned firm offering anti-racist consulting, PD, coaching, keynotes, workshops, and more. Their newly released Abolitionist Teaching Workshop series coaches and prepares teachers to further develop abolitionist practices in the classroom. Find out why they have been called The Future of Educational Justice by Dr. Bettina Love. You can book a free consultation with Quetzal by calling 510-397-8011 or visiting quetzalec.com. That is Q-U-E-T-Z-A-L-E-C.com. And if you mention you heard about them through Two Dope Teachers, you will receive a 5% discount on their Abolitionist Teaching PD series. Once again, you can book them by visiting quetzalec.com on their Connect With Us page. Kevin and I haven't uh, really chopped it up for the podcast lately. Um, we're, we're in somewhat summer mode, although we're going to have to have an episode soon to talk about how our summer hasn't totally been summer. Uh, yeah. I feel like neither of us has totally had summer, but we'll, we'll talk about that because that's a thing right There's now. There's lots of stuff. Yes. There's yes. lots of stuff, but you are back here with two dope teachers and a mic. My name is Gerardo Munoz. I'm Kevin Adams. And we are currently public school educators in the city of denver um it is a balmy 92 degrees here at noon right now (laughs) as as always you're like how is it 11 o'clock it's already 90 degrees it's it's (laughs) wild like i can't believe how hot it gets and how quickly and i was so i went and played soccer last night and you know i'm like i'm gonna catch on fire like yep. it was 98 degrees yesterday and then i get over there in these dark clouds and then it rained rained yeah which was yeah. cool it was a light that, rain. you take that yeah it was it got very a lot nice cooler but you know what comes with rain kev humidity what i mean obviously because it's literal water um yeah i think our humidity like skyrocketed 23 <laughs> percent here in denver shout out my friends in the humid south um, no, uh, what comes with uh, after the rain is um, is gnats and mosquitoes. Oh, oh and, yeah, that's always and that was nasty. Although I will say I, I increased my protein intake in that hour of soccer. So oh, there you go. Got yeah. a snack. Got instant, a snack instant recovery. Instant recovery. Yo, we are here, um, and we're about to drop mixtape track one. Number one. Number one. 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 Let's go. Let's go. How am so I getting this energy? It's crazy. So um, for those of you who are not aware, I'm going to have Kevin tell you about the 2022 Revolution Summer mixtape, courtesy of Two Dope Teachers. And I might tell him about the mixtape. You know, if, if you don't know about the mixtape, what are you even doing with your life? You really got to learn. But this is our chance to just explore and go a little more in depth and focus on some individuals who we think are dope. Uh, some some of those folks are deep in it in education. Some are artists and and movers and shakers and just yeah. important people that we think we want to elevate and and hip you all to. So that is the tradition of our revolutionary mixtape series is to just give uh, as they say you got to give the people what they want. Yeah, or what they need. Or what they need because some That's of the because right. sometimes there's going to be things that you want and then sometimes there are things that you didn't even know you needed right that's and right we started this when um when we went to houston and we were able to do the live show um of uh you know at the racial and social justice conference at, that nea puts on shout out and, to um, nea so yeah shout out and and shout out um you know our our peoples who who set us up with that uh, Stephanie, especially, um, and Shilpa, y'all were awesome. Also, and, uh, Shilpa sent me an email I haven't like replied to. It's amazing. They were tracking our engagement 
um, on Twitter. And so I'm going to have to, we'll post that. Um, cause that was kind of an amazing thing to see. And that, that, was, back, <laughs> that was back when we had like 1200 Twitter followers, like back in the salad days of Twitter the salad days. Um, we are over 10 K now it's, it feels legit. It feels nice. Um, but yeah, so we ended up with all these recordings with like dope folks. Like we had the crew from Seattle that was working on the rethinking school stuff. We had Jess Matthews, uh, shout out to Jess. We yes. had Booth Riley, we had Diana Asili, we had Priyan Winona from Choose. And we were like, what do we do with all of this incredible content? And so hence the mixtape. And so uh, that's been a tradition since summer 2019. We love it. It's a good time. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, if you are new to this show, welcome. Uh, you can follow us on a number of platforms. Uh, we are on all social media platforms at Two Dope Teachers. We are not on TikTok. Um, I don't, what would we even do with TikTok? I, I don't know. We could do some dances. We could. <laughs> we, we could do we some could, dances. We could do some, some dances, humiliate our children and our spouses. And, and uh, I mean, there's lots of lots of creative stuff on TikTok. Lots of true. opportunities. I'm just maybe not. we'll look into that. Maybe, yeah, maybe we will. Uh, you can follow us on all those platforms, but not TikTok right now. Um, at Two Dope Teachers is our handle. You can subscribe wherever you get podcasts, especially Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you are interested in supporting our work financially, you can go to patreon.com slash two dope teachers. And uh, thank you to our supporters, our patrons. Um, we've lost a few along the way. It's been hard times out there, um, but we're we grateful. Understand. For those. Yeah, we're grateful for, for you rocking with us. That's right. And I just want to make, can I make a, I, I want to say something real quick. Say in terms of, So there's like this Patreon culture, right? Where you're supposed to like, give people all kinds of swag and all kinds of stuff like our friends um our friends at uh what's her name podcast uh haven't haven't sent a lot of their swag out lately for you know for their patrons and they sent this apology and i'm kind of like you know man when when you support the work of independent journalists of you know independent creative media particularly that stuff being you know, produced by people of color and people from marginalized communities. Like, shouldn't that just be enough? That you're just, like Key says this, our friend Key from Will Kindergarten. Yep. Yep. Key says this, Key's like, I'm not sending you t-shirts. I'm not sending you all kinds of stuff. Like you are literally here to support a, um, a queer black person creating content. And that's right. like that is, it's, so and that's my soapbox. We probably just lost five more. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it is, I, I feel it's important to say because I know that, man, we've been through stuff and, and that's why we have to have that episode. And it's kind of uh, limited our ability to produce content. Um, the last that's right, months, but, that's right. But, but you know, we're, we're out here with our true blues. We're out here. We're rocking with y'all. Cause y'all um, rock with us. Yeah. So uh, really quick, that's right. That's a meme. Um, we're, we're going to, um, we're going to introduce our, uh, our track one on the mixtape in a minute, but just, we're going to give you a very quick update of how summer has been. What are you up to, et cetera. Um, do you want to go Kevin or do you want me to go? I mean, my, my summer has been okay. It's, it's relaxing. Uh, when it turned July, I finally was like, oh yeah, I'm a teacher. <laughs> so I, I forgot I forgot that I was a teacher That's for good. a month something right if you forgot so, so I completely I was like and then all of a sudden st I had to start bargaining again and so that uh -huh. quickly reminded me Wait, that did I'm that ever stop I don't feel like it ever stopped though because um, we were bargaining in June we we were at the beginning of June and then we stopped and then we we were emergency bought back in July okay or at the end of June at <laughs> right. the end of June so and, we stopped and, in June and restarted in June but, but we we have we have reached one tentative agreement on one article of the contract out of out of uh, uh so this was out this of would be our, pages out of 30 third so there's there's 30 Ooh. articles this would be 31 this is like a new one no. so it's not even something that existed <laughs> it was an MOU oh and it was I mean it's a whole story but yeah. so but we we finished that up. So Excellent. we at least have, I have two weeks until it begins again. Okay. Um, but shout out to the bargaining, my bargaining team. Yes. DCTA members, DCTA, shout out to you to serve staff, shout out to the organizer, shout out to our faithful folks who show up to bargaining, to cheer us on or who watch 
uh, who've been watching uh, Vimeo in the summer of bargaining team meetings. The four of you that were there yesterday, we saw you. We saw you. Y'all are committed. Yeah. So it's been that, a, that's that's what I've been up to. It's been a great summer then. Um, yeah, and uh, we were we were gonna have a Juneteenth barbecue at your place, but you know, yes. friends had some uh, some medical needs. That, yes, know, the dog the dog had to have surgery, but he's yeah. he's on the mend. Good. He's he's healthy. Barking at folks. Bark back barking back jumping on people licking Good. faces. Good for him. Expecting yeah. a shout out to friends. Shout um, out. Good stuff. Yeah, uh, my my summer has been anxiety ridden. I'm still like way up in the air with this employment situation. I'm like, okay, contract is over in 17 days. Um, hopefully something works. Something. Out. Come on, come on. I mean, I, w- I will say that the that the wheels are turning, if slowly. Um, and um, I am 81 percent confident that I'll be fine. That's um, right. That's right. And if no, it takes time for it to come together. I'm Takes time for it to come together the right way. Then, then you'll be good. You'll yeah. Be good. Well, let's 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 go with that. Um, I did have this amazing experience that I think we'll have to talk about at some point. Um, last week, uh, I was on a canoe trip. Um, nice up the Penobscot River in Maine. Uh, shout out to my good friend Cindy Soul, the 2021 Maine Teacher of the Year, who. Uh, invited me randomly out of the blue. Hey, you should come and paddle a canoe and hang out with the Wabanaki people. I'm like, nice. that sounds amazing. What is it? (laughs) (laughs) But what it is, is it's this really dope, immersive cultural experience that the Penobscot people um, put on to help educators uh, meet the requirements of a main law that requires that um, all classrooms teach about indigenous people. Nice. Um, so the Penobscot people are one of this confederation that has never been removed from their land. So they're in their um, ancestral homeland. And uh, I just got to shout out people like Chris Sock Alexis, got to shout out Ryan, got to shout out James, uh, got to shout out Jennifer Neptune, who took us on this dope plant walk. Um, and uh, just this cool experience of just paddling with um, with First Nations people up in the Northeast. So it was cool, man. It was it was super cool. That's dope um yeah it was real fun met met some cool people but yeah we'll talk about that at some point but other than that you know I've been doing some facilitating for the National Network of State Teachers of the Year and uh just some little things here and there that have been good I'm gonna see our boy uh Jose Vilson in a few weeks Um, very good I've been invited to the Educolor Summit and uh so I'll be in NYC for a couple days uh so I'll be really cool um yeah so that's that's what's going on with summer um, we have track one of the Revolution Summer Mixtape for the year of 2022. Um, and this was a person who reached out to us and we were really humbled. Um, she's highly respected in these areas of professional development and cultural responsiveness. Uh, her name is Elena Aguilar and she is the founder and CEO of Bright Morning, where every conversation counts. That's right. Elena is a writer, leader, teacher, coach, podcaster. Yo. She's the author of seven highly acclaimed books, The Art of Coaching, uh, The Art of Coaching Teams, Onward, Cultivating Emotional Resilience in Educators, and The Onward Workbook. Get it if you haven't gotten it. Coaching for Equity, which I'm stoked. Uh, I'm glad I got to interview her because yeah. I'm reading it over the reading summer, reading right. the book. Uh, the Art of Coaching Workbook and the PD Book, uh, Seven Habits That Transform Professional Development. She be writing, y'all. She be writing, for yeah, real. She's writing. She's, she, writing. she's also been a frequent contributor to Edutopia, ASCDs, Educational Leadership, and Ed Week Teacher. Yeah, and Elena is the um, founder and president of Bright Morning Consulting, an organization committed to helping individuals and organizations create the conditions for transformation. She has taught tens of thousands of folks how to have conversations that build a more just and equitable world. Elena can be heard demonstrating these conversations on the Bright Morning podcast. Y'all should follow that. Elena is also the co-founder of the Kenya Big Picture Learning she is on the advisory board of UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center, and she is a certified mindfulness meditation teacher. She lives in 
Oakland, California. Oaktown. Oaktown with her husband and son and two cats. Yeah. Always shout out the cats. The pets. Shout out the cats. When she's not coaching or writing, she enjoys traveling abroad, photographing uh, birds, hiking, drinking coffee, and reading fiction. Excellent. So uh, we invite you to sit back. Dude, yo, there we Franz. go, Franz. Franz is the man. Ah, oh, love love hearing that sound. Uh, we invite you to sit back, um, or you know, do yard work or whatever you're doing. Check out this conversation that we had with Elena Aguilar. Catch you later. So we are here with the great Elena Aguilar. Elena, welcome to the Two Dope Teachers and a Mic podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, we're glad to have you. Yeah, we're, we're so excited to have, to have you. This is great. Yes. Like, you know, and, uh, you know, and, anytime... uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, the first guest of the Revolutionary Mixtape. That's right. Revolution right. Summer 2022 Mixtape. And so, folks, if you're not familiar with the, uh, I always get the order wrong. I think it's Summer, summer Revolution Mixtape 22. Or something like that. Anyway, if you're not familiar with uh, mixtape culture, everybody, um, what you have to understand is that a lot of the great rappers, especially in the 80s and 90s, before they actually committed the resources to a full album on things, they would do a mixtape. Mixtapes were creative. Mixtapes were experimental. Uh, mixtapes ventured into new bold ideas that eventually would uh, frame a whole career. And so uh, we do a mixtape every summer, beginning with the summer of 2019. Um, and this is, Kev, can you believe this is the fourth year of the Summer Revolution mixtape? Time flies. I time can believe flies, it because man. time flies. Time it's great. Flies. And, and, you know, every now and then you get a big name, you get a big artist um, on the mixtape. That's right. I think that's who we have with Elena Aguilar. So thank you for joining us today on Two Dope Teachers and a Mic. Yeah. And so, Elena, before we get into uh, your approach to professional development, because we, we want to hear about it, because it's a thing that I think about all the time in the summer, uh, because teachers, we, ne- we don't stop, we don't quit, but um, and affinity work and teacher wellness, all that good stuff. But we always like to start at the beginning. Um, how did you enter the field of education? What inspired you to enter this field? I love starting with that question because I hope that you'll be able to hear the threads of how I started, what I do now, how they're intertwined. So I would say it started with my birth. I was born into a family that told me from the very first moment that I can remember that I was alive to make the world better. And my parents, my grandparents lived that message with their whole lives They also lived in many ways that were marginalized by dominant society, by mainstream culture. I was born to a Costa Rican father, a Jewish American woman, and I was born in London, England, because they had a hard time finding anywhere else to live is the short end of the story. Um, But so I was born also into a community where, into a country and a community where I did not belong in so many ways. I was, um, Spanish was my first language in the community in which we lived in England. Nobody spoke Spanish. People didn't look like me. My parents were an anomaly. And um, that experience actually of marginalization really impacted my decision to go into teaching combined with the message I got from my parents and grandparents that my my life needs to be in service of others. And when I was in high school, I started, um, okay, this is going to sound this, well, so I started critiquing my teachers and I had a Spanish teacher who I thought was a terrible teacher. He was so boring. And um, my mother was a an ESL teacher, as it was called back then. Um, And she talked a lot about teaching at home. And so I proposed to my Spanish teacher, I think in 10th grade, that I teach for a week. And um, (laughs) 
was like, I love that. That's, that's I love bold. That. That's definitely. I bold. love that. <laughs> it was bold. It was what in um, Yiddish is called chutzpah. Like, yes. yes. Like, I know yeah. that word. It's one of the yes. greatest words. Yeah. Yes. In, in one of the greatest. I know. And I was like, in retrospect, I mean, this teacher, he, he sort of tolerated me, but I knew he didn't like me. Um, but I was like, let me teach for a week. And my, and my lessons were so fun and interactive all every single day. All he had us doing was like, read this part of the book, do these exercises. We never talked. How do you learn Spanish? We never talk. And that's the realist. (laughs) It was ridiculous. And this was also like Spanish with Spanish speakers, you know, it was just absurd. So I taught the class for a week and it was so fun. And I started making lists. This was in the eighties. Um, I started making lists of when I'm a teacher, what I, what I will not do. Mm, no surprise I quizzes. Wow. I hated surprise quizzes. Like, what's the point of a surprise quiz? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I started, you know, and I, so I also loved history more than anything. And perhaps yeah, shout because out. of yes. my, <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know, my childhood, my experience of um, every single day of my life had been impacted by politics and history. And, uh, and at this point that I'm I'm in high school. I was actually living in Southern California in a super conservative white town. Um, and so I started, but my history teachers were also so boring. And <laughs> yeah. I would tell, I would teach my friends history. I was like, and then did you know what the United States did in Nicaragua last week? Like, let's oh, talk man. about the Contra War. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. And it was so alive to me. So I wanted to be a history teacher from probably mm. ninth grade, 10th grade. And that was it sort of combined with my awareness of what it's like to be marginalized in school. Yeah based on my own experiences, the experiences of my brother, um, that is what led me into teaching. Yeah, that's, a, that's amazing stuff. I, I love the, um, I love that approach. And I think, I, th- I think I, I can relate to wishing that these perspectives were taught. Um, but, but I mostly just sat in the back and grumbled into my headphones and, you know, just kind of disengaged. Um, this is really refreshing to hear for me because I think as, as we meet teachers from all over the country, all over the world, you know, we hear a similar story that I wanted to be a teacher because of all these great teachers I had. And I had, and especially as history teachers, you'll hear that where it's like, I had this great history teacher and I didn't have that experience that part of why I became a teacher was similar to, to yours was to say, nah, there's, we, we need to do better. And, uh, you know, I could do this better, um, which is debatable at this point, but, um, but back then it definitely uh, felt real. Um, so some of your most recent work has really grabbed our attention, especially when it comes to um, ideas of wellness, ideas of you know, sort of there's, there's this conversation about SEL for students and, um, and you were kind of talking about this early. Um, But it's really interesting because this issue has been around with us for a really long time. My mother's a retired teacher and we have this conversation a lot. Kevin and I will talk to older generations of teachers and they'll talk about how difficult and unsustainable the work always was. Um, It took the onset of COVID-19 to start casting a little bit of light on wellness of everybody in education. Um, but I think your book onward, um, kind of predates a lot of this kind of mainstream conversation around wellness and sustainability and humanizing approaches. So what was it that you saw then, uh, that's taken the system so long to notice? And I I guess, I guess it's debatable whether the system has noticed it, <laughs> um, but I think it's at least the talking point in some spaces. Um, and then the second part of that is, what what do you think the state of um, teacher wellness and resilience is today? So I started teaching in the Oakland, California public schools in 1995. Okay. And I was teaching elementary school, second grade, and a few months into the school year, some of my students approached me on the playground at recess and said, do you think you're going to be here next year? And I said, yeah, of course. I had this mental model that you become a teacher and you stay a teacher in a school for a long time, like commitment people sort of, that was my, you know, and they would say, and then other kids would say, do you think you're going to stay all year? And I was like, clarify that, please. Like, what why, are you talking about? Right. 
like, where would I go? And they would say so many of our <clears throat> teachers don't come back the next year or they quit in the middle of the year. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. You know, just, I did not have this awareness. And then in my first three years teaching in Oakland, I saw that every year we lost, lost about 50% of teachers. Wow. And it is this in the district this, at large? So in, in the school I was in, in school. Okay. and so the district had the majority of the schools are in, um, communities that are disenfranchised, more marginalized. And so it wasn't, that wasn't the rate across the district because there are other schools that are, have different funding sources and so on. Um, but throughout the district, over the course of five years, 80% of teachers would turn over. And so I started hearing this and learning this, and then I would hear the impact it had on students. And so that became really apparent really quickly, like students feeling like teachers don't like to, don't, teachers don't like us. They don't want to stay here. They don't want to be with us. Yeah. There's something wrong with us because people leave us because teachers leave us. And then I saw a different level of impact because I ended up staying in the school district for 19 years. And I saw, for example, how the district or certain schools would commit to, let's say, a PD initiative and would spend several years focusing on arts integration or something really important and meaningful, science education. And then five years later, the entire PD initiative had to be repeated because there were 80% of the teachers were new or something like that. And so I just started seeing this correlate between the impact on kids, the drain of resources, I mean, just the financial waste, and then the emotional impact on... um, my colleagues, as well as myself. I went through several phases of burnout and depletion. And really what I recognize now was depression and um, just seeing these multiple ways in which teacher wellness or teacher resilience had so many repercussions and was also just so, um, could, could be, mediated could be navigated could there could there's something we can do about that there was so much that we couldn't impact as teachers as educators in Oakland but our emotions our thoughts we could do something about and I have long held personal interests in you know what might be sort of roughly classified as like personal development and meditation I've been a meditator for 25 years and so I had this sort of side interest and yoga and all this stuff, even before, you know, when it was kind of more secretive, like people weren't <laughs> into meditation as much in the early nineties. Yep. Um, and, and so I would bring those practices into sometimes literally into the classroom, not in a, mm. in a completely secular way, but like helping kids cultivate awareness of their breath. Yeah. Um, students I had who were experiencing trauma and who would come to school and I would say like, Oh, don't put that there, you know? And, um, who would just, I mean, one student, I just vividly remember spilled some paint and I said, oh no, what happened? And he crumbled onto the floor, crawled under a desk and shook and cried and sobbed. And I was, you know, I was, that was my first year teaching. And I realized like, oh, wow. Okay. How do I respond here? And I responded by offering him some of the strategies I knew from, from meditation around the breath. Anyway, so I knew that there were things that we could do that would allow us to navigate the challenges and the stressors and how we thought the stories that we told about what happened and so on. Um, And then there was a year when I was a founding teacher of a small autonomous school in Oakland and um, there was so much excitement, so much potential. And the first couple of years were incredible. And then as we started expanding and hiring teachers, we again saw just this terrifying rate of turnover. Yeah. And it was at that point when I became a coach and said, let's try incorporating some of these ways to think about resilience and to think about emotions into what had been, you know, coaching had been, has been so focused on just instructional practices. Like, let's look at your data. Let's look at classroom management. I was like, that's not what's needed. The teacher that I'm coaching can't stop crying. I need some other strategies. Mm -hmm. And so I would say I've been thinking about the necessity of teacher wellness, teacher resilience since I started teaching and then just developing those thoughts and practices Um, And I think, you know, what's taken so long for the system to notice is because 
the system is inherently um, problematic, oppressive. It's not, it was never set up for the majority of people to thrive. It's set up to create automatons really to create mm, say that. people who don't think and who will enter you know it's funny because you had asked me to think about this question <laughs> what behaviors did i engage in as a student that would be an issue in my class now <laughs> this was going to be the sound check and no, we didn't like, do the sound check sorry oh, <laughs> we were that's, okay. that's all right you can answer it now yeah i answer can answer it. now because it connects so i'm just going to go on a like i'm going to critique the system um yeah. i was like what did i do as a system okay so, so as a student i was like i was a perfect student <laughs> and i lied and i cheated and i questioned authority incessantly mm -hmm. and <laughs> hey and i'm defining that as perfect because yeah. the system i was in the classrooms that's were right so they were mind numbingly boring i did not have one teacher in 12 years who was inspiring who saw me who wow. challenged me they saw me, I mean, they looked at my name, my phenotype and my, you know, the fact that I had a single mother parent and were like, oh, you know, low reading tracks, low this class, ignore her. She's quiet. She, you know, they saw me as Latina. They sitting in the back of the classroom quiet. They just left me there. So they yeah. gave me boring, mindless things to memorize and equations and terms. And I was like, this is meaningless. I'm going to cheat. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, if I had a class and that was what <laughs> students were being required to do, like that would be great anyway the system was not set up in order for there to be neither intellectual nor emotional or community well-being and so um, i think it took a crisis and the increasing rates of teacher burnout depression and anxiety and turnover for the system to notice Oh, that's yeah, I think um, it's interesting because now you got me thinking about my disruptive behavior. I was um, uh, and Kevin has witnessed me channel my inner seventh grader um, because I think seventh grade was when I was the most challenging. And if there was a bad idea, I was going to do it because I love the attention. And you mentioned you mentioned not feeling seen as a student. The only way I could be seen is if I was using the sander in wood shop to launch chunks of wood across the room, like just because I was like, look at that. If you put it on the wrong side, it like flies across the room and got into a whole lot of trouble for that. But uh, so when we talk about some of the mindfulness and, and getting particularly middle school students, but I think all students to move around a little bit to let them engage with their bodies and their minds. I was definitely a kid that needed that. Um, so, so this, um, the situation that you've seen since the beginning of, of your, uh, sort of work in education, um, it's, it's all kind of like you saw it right away. Kev, what, what, what are, what are we seeing now that kind of connects to that? I mean, I think just, like when you talk about, uh, the 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 burnout of teachers right and i think in this year you mentioned something you know working with those uh uh um new teachers you know uh coaching them and i i've never seen so many young teachers like crying mm -hmm. and you know broken down and feeling like they can't make it and you know and i think that that's still going on in and this year, we've prioritized teacher wellness more than any year in my 17-year career. I've heard it more, you know, and it makes me think about, well, what does that mean, you know? What does teacher wellness mean? And, and uh, one of the things, shout out to our building leader this year, is we actually had a, um, a mental health day and some release time for mental health activities that were self-directed right um and so i think like not much has it feels like it's a lot of the same stuff right and i think that's the big question and as a person <clears throat> who's working right now um helping to negotiate our our contract for our union and our and the denver public schools um I, it's one of the big questions is how do we make sure that we can retain teachers? So like, what are your thoughts on, on actually ways to institutionalize teacher wellness? Yeah, that's a great question. I think what, what concerns me about what I've seen in the last couple of years is 
the system or perhaps uninformed district leaders, I don't want to make assumptions. I think, you know, it's just there's lack of information, understanding, and they're overwhelmed and so on. But the the response I've seen sometimes feels very transactional and technical. It's like, let's buy them this book. Let's give them a, you know, two hour session with Elena. Like, yeah, no, it's, that's not going to do it. Right. And so there's these, like, if we bring in a mindfulness program, that's not going to do it either. Like if we actually want to talk about teacher wellness, then we're actually going to have to talk about power and agency and decision-making and Mm -hmm. cultural competence and racism. And there's a whole lot, you know, it's, um, there's just our schools do not work for anybody like you you know the stories that you were just sharing but one of the things that I've done as a coach or as a coach of coaches is I have a coach um follow basically follow or shadow a student for mm-hmm. yeah and oh, that's some of the best they, stuff they do and they can do this yeah with an equity lens yeah. and they can you know and so they can find out really interesting things and it's um it's the anecdote that I start my book coaching for equity with is about following a student and so often those coaches come back to me and they say okay I followed a student for two days and I was exhausted <laughs> all I did in these classes was like sit <laughs> And listen, and I'm like, oh, yeah, like the students, you wonder why like, no 11 year old should have to sit for seven or eight hours a day. And it's just so sit. wrong. I mean, it's so wrong. Like it's physically wrong. And in some ways, the same is true for teachers. Like, yeah. like the fact that teachers actually, I don't know if there's a difference depending on the gender of the teacher, but I do know that female teachers um, have the highest rates of bladder infections of any profession, right? Because yeah. we never get to go to the bathroom. Yep. Yep. Right? You can't just like plan on peeing, you know, one period of the day. <laughs> or you know, or like at the beginning minutes. and the end of the day. Like, yeah, yeah, like- I, mean, I mean, I always struggled with hydrating because like, I'm kind of like, okay, I could drink this water like I'm supposed to, but in right. half an hour, I'm going to have to go to the bathroom. And I got sixth grade. Well, I don't teach sixth grade anymore. It, Kevin, yeah. <laughs> well, we had a, we, exactly. we had a colleague who retired and uh, this was a woman teacher who had taught for over 30 years. And somebody asked her, so what is it that you're most looking forward to? And she very calmly says, going to the bathroom whenever I want to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's real- right. It's like, but we talk about teacher well-being. It's like, what you know, we've got to start with this, you know, include at least some of the very basic physiological needs. Like it's yeah. just ridiculous. So it's not a technical thing. So it's everything from like being able to pee when you need to pee to yep. let's talk about power and agency and decision making and racism in our schools yeah. and our district. And that's a lot, right? But at, you know, I think there's I and it can also get really concrete and say people need to learn how to listen better. Yeah. Administrators need to learn how to listen. Teachers need to learn how to listen. We need to learn how to listen to each other. There's very specific strategies that can be learned fairly easily. We need to learn how to have healthy conflict. You know, there's such fear of conflict and there's poorly done conflict. We need to be able to have some good conflict and that can actually build relationships and build resilience. Yeah. Um, There's, you know, people, teachers, kids, and administrators need to be seen they need to be able to share themselves and that's a whole how do you create the psychological safety in which people can be seen and but one of the biggest dangers to physical health and well-being is actually loneliness and we can Mm -hmm. do something about that also we can build community and we can build community in contexts that are that are really um diverse and where there may be stark differences of political opinion and so on and all of that is infiltrating and impacting our relationships these days but those are the kind of things and that is what is outlined in my book onward in a sense it is um there's at least a beginning for how individual and collective resilience can be built that has a socio-political lens on it all yeah that that loneliness piece is so important and this is a moment that i really want to shout out kevin because i think being the only teacher of color in most buildings that I ever taught in for the first 10 to 12 years of my career, you know, um, I, I started to really just compartmentalize who I was. I wasn't, I wasn't myself when I came to work. I was myself with kids. I was always myself with kids, um, especially our black and brown children who didn't have teachers like me. Kevin came along and all of a sudden I have my fugitive partner. 
like we would go and escape and we would talk. This is how the podcast actually started. We would, we would, uh, you know, take off after the staff meetings and we would have the unofficial staff meeting in my room and talk about everything we had seen. And so that loneliness piece is so real. We're going to, um, we're going to link onward, uh, with the episode. Cause folks, you got to check out this book. Um, I'm most of the way through it. And, um, it, there, there are these really powerful kind of things. The other shout out I want to give real quick is my friend, Anthony Swan. Um, Anthony is the, was the 2021 Virginia teacher of the year. And we met over the course of our year of service and um, Anthony has now been elevated into an assistant principal role. He's always had a license and he finally got the opportunity to be in leadership. He visits classrooms all the time. He's the jolliest, most joyful, most loving person I think um, I've met recently. And he went into one room um, and the teacher was crying um, during class with you know students there. Yep. The paraeducator was really being supportive and trying to just kind of keep the kids busy. Anthony took her aside and said, hey, do you want to go home? And she looked at him and she's like, is that an option? And he says, a hundred percent. And she said, who's going to cover my class? He said, don't worry about it. She's like, do I have to take it out of my sick time? He said, don't worry about it. He's like, I need you, I need you to go home and rest. If that's going to help you, I need you to go and rest. You leave everything else to us. And like, it was just so incredible to hear this story because it, it's vintage, Anthony. This is who he is. And I'll say that I had some rough moments this last semester and our leadership did the same for me. Um, and those are the kinds of things that kind of disrupt this kind of system that you're talking about, Elena. Like that, that first we have to really recognize that people have human needs. Um, and, and those need to be supported. Um, so now nah, this is really, really great stuff. Um, you know, so the next question I've got, so as we kind of talk about, well, it's really love that you are naming these systems of domination, these systems of oppression as central to our understanding here. And it's funny, every time we talk to somebody about wellness, there's always this feeling of like, so this is gonna be a can of worms, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> It like, okay, buy me a book. I ain't got time to read this book because I have 150 students and five preps. <laughs> like, you know, send me to a webinar on the weekend. Yeah, I, I, I'd rather do that than sit on my porch quietly with my coffee, you know, like no matter how good it is, right? Um, but, but so when we start actually getting into the fact that this system operates exactly the way it's supposed to, it is reified, it is alienating, and it is industrial, right? That is the whole idea behind the system. Um, you have gone to another level and you're, and you're, you're about to pilot this new initiative um, supporting BIPOC leaders and creating a professional community for BIPOC leaders. Um, this, uh, this made Kevin want to become a principal immediately. Um, in fact, I think you will become principal tomorrow. Is that true? <laughs> Not tomorrow, maybe From the next day. From the bargaining team to the principal's chair, right? Um, so can you describe this this uh, this program? You know, this is a direct way to sort of address these oppressive systems and these racist systems. Can you talk a little bit about that and um, and sort of the impact you kind of expect? Yeah, so I wanna just back up for a second and say yeah. the system is flawed and the system is a problem. And I also think we need to stop talking about the system as such a such a like amorphous thing, abstract thing, right? The system is people. People made the system, people nice. can change the system. That's right. <clears throat> so I think sometimes when we talk about the system, it's distancing, it's alienating, it feels like this monolith that can never change, right? But people made the system, so we can change the system. Mm -hmm. And we can do that really concretely and specifically, like, yes, teachers, might actually benefit more from sitting on their porch with, with their coffee and a good book on the weekend than going to a webinar, but, or, and there is a knowledge and a skill set, And that is what I um, have attempted to write about in Onward and the Onward yeah. workbook. There's a knowledge and a skill set that actually can make that time on the porch be much more impactful. And so I do a lot of, I, I'm fascinated by neuroscience. And I do a lot of reading in that area and research on cognitive 
uh, behavioral change and things. And that's what I kind of incorporate into all my work. And so I would say that like, it's a yes and, or maybe, or maybe not. There are right. things that, that school leaders can start doing. And Onward is laid out to be read over the course of 12 months with one chapter a month. So really manageable, two hours a month. And then there are a lot of suggestions. This is what's in the workbook for, let's say, principals to include in staff meetings or PD sessions, or even just in their check-in conversations with people or something. So I also want to like break down the like, oh, it's so overwhelming. It can't be done. No, it can. Lots of little steps. And mm -hmm. we can learn how to do that. We can learn the highest leverage, most impactful things to do. And we can make changes in the system. Yeah. One of the changes that I'm committed to is seeing more BIPOC educators in positions of leadership and thriving. And so I have spent about 10 years, 12 years um, coaching school leaders and organizational leaders. 80% of those have been BIPOC leaders. And I have seen the same challenges with burnout and um you know, just that all of that, and then added on a thick layer of having to deal with and respond constantly to racism. Yep. And so I know that our schools will not transform, will not serve every child every day. That's my definition of equity is yeah. that every child <laughs> every day gets what they need and deserves to be successful and to thrive. And I know that we won't be able to do that unless we have more BIPOC educators and leaders. And so this new program that I actually just completed the first pilot, it was uh, started in January of 22. Oh, okay. And, um, and so it'll be starting up again in the fall, um, a PLC for BIPOC educators. And this is a space that I facilitate, which invites the exploration of identity, and resilience and healing and incorporates the this exploration through different modalities and so the first cohort that just wrapped up um one of their big pieces of feedback that they really appreciated was we did a lot of deconstruction of what's called imposter syndrome um, which I actually think is a term that can obscure white supremacy. 100%. Um, so is it imposter syndrome or is it, this is this is how white supremacy shows up. This ah. is the impact when I start internalizing the narrative and it, and when those narratives meet my inner critic who, yeah. you know, may come from somewhere else or just maybe deeply influenced by white supremacy. And so um, that was one of the areas that we explored, as well as just identity and leadership stories and where people want to go. And But the leaders really appreciated just the space where they could come together and talk to each other. I have talked to so many BIPOC leaders who say, you know, I'm just as you were saying, I'm the only one in my school. I'm the only one in my district. And because I am a this, a that, a Black woman, you know, I feel like everybody constantly turning to me and saying, you can't do, you know, why are you saying this? Or why are you saying that? Or you're making me feel scared. Or you're intimidating or, you know, and just the sort of emotional exhaustion and depletion. Um, and so just having a space to be and talk and have the affirmation, the validation. And so often when we were on a Zoom room, you know, I would say something or other people would say something and there'd be all these heads on the Zoom room nodding. Vigorously. Everybody's like, me too, me too. You know, yeah. just that, right, that validation, like I am not alone. I'm not crazy. This is, this is experienced by others is so cathartic. That's yeah. healing. That's powerful. That's, that's powerful. And I think, um, I, I think definitely those folks of color who are in, who are in leadership positions, will often experience multiple layers of isolation. You're isolated when you're with other leaders of color, you're isolated at the district level, you're isolated in your own building. Um, and, and there's a whole bunch of complexity with that. And so I think that's incredible. Um, have Do you have a notion of, you know, of the level of impact the the work from the initial pilot had in terms of do we know how much more likely these leaders are to stay in place do we know um you know what what's their state after doing this work since january 
it's a really interesting question and I'd love to dig into how to measure impact. I think that's how do you measure the impact on like identity and acceptance and the ability to recognize like there's nothing wrong with me. That's like, you know, this distorted mindset. That's a, that's a, the violence of white supremacy showed there's nothing wrong with me. Um, So how do you, yeah. How do you quantify or even just capture that? I think one thing that was interesting when we talk about resilience and retention is um, to consider what it means when people decide I'm leaving, right? Like, and in a number, in so many of the BIPOC leaders uh, that I have coached in their situations, when they get to that point, I mean, as a coach, I am neutral and I don't have an attachment to agenda, but I also hear people who are in really dysfunctional, toxic situations, basically like taking so much shit that I'm just like, you know, I can't be attached to that. You're not there to make sure that they stay. That's no, and then, you know, and I'm not, you know, again, I'm sort of like not supposed to have an agenda, but when I hear people who are being harmed and then I hear they've made a decision to leave, I'm like, internally, I'm kind of cheering. Well, that's a win. So that, so it's a kind of a, like, so retention or am I, you know, advocating for people to like, get out of this toxicity. I mean, yeah, do the reflection, do the learning, reflect on yourself, identify. And then if it's unhealthy and it's toxic and it's, you know, leading you into having to take weeks off because you just can't, because you're having panic attacks every morning, like leave. Yeah. Yeah. Get (laughs) out. Your body's telling you, your body is telling you, your body knows before your brain does, you know, and that's, uh, I'm so glad you said that because I think that part of the backlash on what people are very naively calling the great resignation, part of the backlash is that, well, you should feel bad for leaving you know, and what are the kids going to do and what's your school going to do and what's going to happen if you're no longer there. And I think, I think that, and I, I would, I would argue that I think what is different now than when I started teaching in 1999, like we always had the, this, this stress, this burnout, this anxiety. What's different now is that um, there's a good number of teachers who recognize that it doesn't have to be like this. That's right. And people like you recognize and have put the ideas out there that it does not have to be like this. We do not have to accept the miserable conditions that so many of us work in. Um, And if that means walking away for your wellness, then, you know, to repeat what you said, that's a win. Love it. So we have now arrived at the most critical part of the show. Kevin, <laughs> you have this question. I've I've got the question. All right. So I I will start by saying, um, feel free to tap into that young spirit to disrupt, to take it wherever you want to go, wherever to come up with your own mission <laughs> on this one. You're like, I got a better um, top five because <laughs> just it's just what what comes from our minds, but we know our minds are the only minds. But uh, at, at uh, the Two Dope Teachers in the Mic podcast, we have a tradition. This is like James Lipton's famous questions inside the actor's studio. But uh, so Still here don't is. understand the reference, but it works. <clears throat> you don't know who? Okay, I have to just, show just you Just keep this. going, keep going. So, some people can't be taught. Go ahead. <laughs> That's right. So our question is, who are your five, top five favorite rappers? Now, with that said, we know that not everybody is into rap. So it could be a performing artist, groups, artists. We said last time we, it could be poets. It could be anything, but a top five favorite that gives you joy in the honor of wellness, right? Of spirit that refreshes your spirit, but that you'd go to. But, uh, and, and we also are non-hierarchical. So if you want to have it be like a normal top five, one through five, that's fine. If you want to say there is no order, there all could be my favorites. They could all be number one at some point. That's fine. If you want to have like three or five number threes, that's fine. We call, this the, we call this the Eric Hale rule in honor yes. of the 2021 Texas Teacher of the Year who might have squeezed 15 rappers into his top five. And had like alternate list for different uh, 
mood. So, uh, so, yeah. oh, so much freedom. I love it. I just feel like the question is just <laughs> liberating. Like we just end there. Like I was like, oh, top five revolutionaries. Top oh, five. yeah, exactly. Or maybe one of these, one of these, one of these. Like there's yep. just so many options. It's, it's so many um, options. liberating and overwhelming. But yes, I, right. I thought about this, like my top. And then it, so I had one who to me is just everything. And then I, I, I also, I guess, because I like the two of you, I was like, I want to play by your rules. So I came up with five. Yo. So there you go. Sometimes I'm like, I did come up with my five. So I went with more broadly, like top five musicians. And I have Love to say it. for me, um, I find God in music. I have mm, my whole life. Yes. That was also part of my, I was raised in a family of sort of musicians, but people who played a lot of music. And that mm. was where, like, yes. that was where I found God. So number one for me, and maybe this is number one through a hundred really is Bob Marley. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. Dude, yeah, I think this might be Marley's first appearance on a top five. I, th I think it is. Uh, I think it is. Awful. How did it take so long? It's like the, you know, from the revel. I mean, it was a revolutionary and the biggest heart and spirit and uh, love and everything to me. Um, just everything there. But I did come up with the other ones. I was like, I am. I have lived around the world. As I told you, I grew up in a very sort of cosmopolitan, all of people from mm. all over the world. So the others, I don't know, you know, people will be familiar with any of these, but Manu Chao, who yes. Manu Chao. Sort of oh, yes, yes, yes. Colombian European, who knows what? I love his music. Um, Ibrahim Ferrer, who is yes. an old yes. Cuban man. Yes. yes. Oh my um, gosh, this is wonderful. And then I was like Jimmy Cliff, but that's because I listened to the Harder yep. They Come, a whole that whole album. So sort of he, you know, his like, and then Cesaria Evora. Yes. Oh, yes. For, she's from uh she she's, she's from, from Cabo Verde. Verde. Yeah. 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 Really Verde. sort of like so her music to me just um like her music is medicine. It makes me cry every single yeah. time. Uh, but yes. it's super cathartic. It's like anytime I need to access the, the heart center um her music that longing that love so that's my my five that you know that's we love it we, I love I, 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 that's a quality list i have to tell you that it makes um, me want to go listen right now so i got a couple <laughs> of connections to this um like so manu chow actually came to denver and performed years ago and so i got to go and see manu chow and i i wasn't you know, because he's 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 a pensive, emotional kind of performer. So I didn't expect it to be this like rocking show. And yep. he killed it. It was beautiful. And that Desaparecido song, um, the Desaparecido song is my dad's story coming from Mexico. And the Clandestino song is my theme song as a teacher that I've always been working kind of clandestino. Um, always trying to be myself, but having to adjust to the conditions. Ibrahim Ferrer, one of my favorite things I ever did for my spouse was I got my buddy Bob, who plays the accordion, and uh, I performed Dos Gardenias for her. And like, what a beautiful love song uh, from Ibrahim. And then Cesaria Evora, um, I discovered her music on one. Remember when Starbucks used to like do jazz albums <laughs> and stuff? There was a Starbucks CD that that uh, Courage Meyermon, I think, was on that was on that album. And I just fell in love with the music. So this is this is a fire list. And uh, we're going to we're going to get this out um, along with the episode so people can kind of check it out. Um, Kevin, oh. comments on the top five? It's you look I, like you're going to think, dude, you look like you're blown away. I approve. By this. I approve. I approve of it entirely. It's a fire top five. It's, it's, it's good stuff. Well, Elena Aguilar, just, you know, we were talking uh, before we started recording about how busy things get. That's the goal of it anyway, is to understand that there's like all sorts of wonderful, great stuff out there that like you might not know about, but it's awesome to hear people talk about it. You know, what gives them joy and that's that's what I love. So thank okay. you, Elena. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to now I'm going to break the rules and say there's one more. This is just a recent discovery. But yeah. in case the two of you don't know, this is a bonus um, bonus one. Yes, this is the bonus. This is a recent discovery who I just love. He is from Belgium. So he's Flemish. His mother was Flemish. His father was Rwandan. His name is Strome. OK, S-T-R-O-M-A-E. Eight. And his latest album is so good. Oh man, it's I'm gonna find so that. Good. I'm gonna find that. So especially if you like my list here, check him Don't out. Me. He's so good. Yes, got that very good. Check got it that out. bonus track. What's a mixtape without a bonus track? Like that's just there you go. That's, <laughs> it. that's it. Um, so um, 
Elena Aguilar, just thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. This was wonderful and, and just such an amazing start to uh, the Summer Revolution Mixtape 2022. Um, I think that the ideas that you're bringing here, um, man, everybody just needs to be doing this. So folks, go out there and just get into the content that Elena produces. And you have a podcast also through Bright Morning. Um, is it, uh, what's the name of the podcast so people can subscribe? Yeah, so my company is Bright Morning, which actually comes from a Bob Marley song that's yeah, that a very wondering. deeply embedded. One bright morning. Yeah. <laughs> I can, I'm not, not good here at the singing, but um, no, so the podcast is the Bright Morning Podcast. And that is anywhere that podcasts are found. Um, the website is brightmorningteen.com. I'm on the socials, and that's it. You can find those links on the website. All right. Yeah. So go to brightmorningteam.com and you can uh, connect. Elena's highly responsive on social media, like definitely tweeting some really great content, you know, definitely worth a follow. Um, are there uh, are there some exciting things that um, how can people kind of connect or support with you just going through the website or um, is that kind of where we're looking? Yeah, go to the website. You can sign up for my weekly newsletter. And that's a great way to find out about new offerings, free offerings and just um other things that i'm up to i always share music tv shows i love talking about tv shows too books that i'm reading uh new ideas ways for people to be involved in other in response to things that are happening in the country or in the world and so that's also a way to hear from me every week all right well elena there's there's a way oh go ahead kev no i you got it take it uh, away you get speechless um so we uh we like to take the the show out um by all of us saying stay dope in unison so i'll ramble for a little bit and on my cue we'll try over zoom to go stay dope together so for uh the incredible kevin adams who runs this i am Gerardo Munoz, your 2021 colorado teacher of the year and on this hot summer day here in denver colorado stay cool stay icy stay refreshed stay chilling um stay clandestino if you have to stay desaparecido if that's what it's kind of uh is is um is required of you but above all make sure that you always stay, stay dope, dope.